The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you or someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is this week's host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Uh, we're an agency providing services to uh, individuals with developmental disabilities all across the country, uh, from ABA to OT to speech, social skills, and, and some other social, recreational, um, and just parent support. Wow, I feel like it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since our last show, uh, but it's really only been a week. Uh, I, I took a vacation uh, in between right in between these two shows and uh, definitely felt like a really long vacation, even though it was only about five, six days. Um, but what was really funny is I was, I was on a plane with my wife and, and we're heading out of Los Angeles. And of course, you know, we had some magazines, had some, so our iPad with a movie. And we were uh, at that point where you, you can't use any electronic devices. And I was, kind of bored and just needed something to look at. So I just grabbed the People magazine that my wife purchased at the newsstand. I'm just kind of thumbing through it, looking at the the celebrity gossip and, you know, stars just like us type of things. And um, I came upon this two-page article that just really caught my eye. And it was about this high school special ed teacher in – God, I don't even remember where he was living. Um, but what was really cool about it is – He's a high school special ed teacher who's also the wrestling coach for the high school. And his wrestling team is an inclusive wrestling team. Um, kids in the special ed program and the special ed department um, of all different ages, levels, you name it, are participating on the wrestling team. Uh, some of them are participating in practices. Some of them are actually participating in some matches. Uh, some of them help out the team, but it really became this inclusive wrestling team. And they were talking about what a dif- difference this made for the kids in the school uh, who had special needs, but also for the kids who were just the neurotypical kids um, and how the the social landscape of the school really changed. Um, they had a program uh, similar to a Best Buddies program that I've seen here in, in California a lot uh, where uh, typically developing high schoolers or, or school kids are are paired with a uh, special needs buddy, and and it's kind of like a partnership. They'll do some studying together. They may do some social stuff at uh, at recess or at lunchtime together. Um, and this wrestling team, his program actually led to that best buddies program tripling in size. The number of volunteers who wanted to participate and be a buddy greatly increased, but also the kids in special ed who said, I want to be part of this Best Buddies program also increased. Um, And what they were finding is that the school as a whole was really becoming an overall more inclusive place. And, you know, no no research behind this. It, It was just their account, their story. But I thought it was really cool. And it got me thinking about sports. And it got me thinking about social skills and and the social realm. And you know, a few weeks back and, and probably months back before that, we talked on the show about you know sexuality and that idea thrown out of you know, how many kids learn about sexuality in their adolescent years and their early teen years at the back of the bus or on the recess. And you know, I, I know that was true for me. 
And then I thought further when reading this article about, but it was the locker room that I feel like I learned the most. The locker room is where I learned about sexuality. The locker room is where I, I built some of my most lasting friendships. Um, guys I played high school football with are still some of my best friends. Uh, and we live now 2,500 miles away from each other. Um, something about the dynamic of young boys and, and especially high school boys and sports is, is really powerful. And it's something that I know I don't think I hear very much about. You know, we talk about play skills and we talk about a lot of different um, social development and, and for really good reason. But when we start talking about the older years, it, it seems like sports is left out of the conversation um, and and how sports ties into social skills and not just sports, but clubs and um, those different types of activities. So I'm really excited that next week uh, I'm actually bringing a friend onto the show, a friend of mine who works with me here at AST. She's been a colleague of mine for a really long time. Uh, she actually just gave a talk here in the, in the Los Angeles area about this. And when I read this article and I heard about her talk, I just felt like it was perfect timing um, to start this dialogue and have this conversation because it's one that I don't think we've had on the show before about these other aspects of social skills. Um, and the one, as I said, that caught my interest and, and it's got me thinking is this sports piece of how can we uh, create more opportunities for our kids on the spectrum to have these um, sports moments. Um, we're seeing them on YouTube more and more. There's something I saw recently on uh, at SportsCenter even. Um, but I think we can do a better job of creating these opportunities. So I'm really excited that next week we'll talk about this um, and really have a great dialogue around it. Um, but today's show is uh, going to be on the different part of the spectrum, and we'll, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, early intervention. And um, I'm really excited to, uh, again, look at early intervention from a slightly different point of view. Um, I think sometimes we, we think of it as this big, giant sphere, and there's different perspectives in there, and there's some, some key points um, that I think are important for us to dig a little bit deeper into. And, and I know we're going to get to do that today. Um, so today I am doing, uh, I am joined by, uh, Dr. Robin McWilliam. Uh, Dr. McWilliam is one of the nation's leaders in recommended practices in early intervention and early childhood special education. He's traveled to 48 states to help improve policies and services for young children with disabilities and their families. He's consulted and taught overseas, particularly uh, since the 1990s in Portugal. Components of his model for home and community-based services, routines-based early intervention have been adopted by numerous states and local programs, and his engagement classroom model, based on research conducted with Amy Casey, is an evidence-based model for effective classroom practices. Dr. McWilliam has published six books and many, many scholarly articles. He runs the Routines-Based Interview Certification Institute every year um, at the Siskin Children's Institute, a nonprofit organization in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Dr. McWilliam is the director of the Center for Child and Family Research and the Siskin Endowed Chair of Research in Early Childhood Education, Intervention, and Development. Uh, but most importantly, Dr. McWilliam is a husband, a father, and a grandfather. Uh, Dr. McWilliams, thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Rob. Um, so we got a couple of minutes before we go to our commercial, but the, the the question I always like to start off with is how did you get into early intervention and autism? What kind of led you to all of this? Um, it actually was through the field of blindness because when I was um, – uh, a teenager, my mother uh, forced me to spend an afternoon with the son of a friend of hers, and this son was totally blind. Wow. Um, and so I um, thought that uh, what I would do is play croquet with him, which tells mm -hmm. volumes about my kind of upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> that I would be playing croquet with people. Um, 
And of course, it's a completely uh, unsuitable game for um, a totally blind kid. But uh, I made it work. You know, um, I yeah. got down and yelled on the side of the hoop. He hit it through and we had a whale of a time. And that got me interested in um, being friends with and then working with people who are blind. And that just sort of uh, a series of accidents after that led to my um, uh, work in early intervention. Wow. Uh, you know, I love asking that question just because I think it's interesting how everyone gets into the field, how everyone <laughs> starts off. And I got to tell you, I, I have not heard um, uh, someone working with blind people before and then going there. That's really cool. I really mm. like that. Um, well, I, I want to make sure we give you a plenty of time. And um, I know that we've got a commercial right on our right on our heels. So I want to take a, a commercial break. But I want to come back and really dig into uh, early intervention and the work that you've been doing, because I know uh, it's something that actually a previous guest of ours uh, even said was was so inspirational for them in starting their journey for their son. And I want everyone else to get the benefit of it, too. So okay. uh, we will be right back after this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Robin McWilliam, and we're talking about uh, early intervention. Um, you know, as I said right before the break, Dr. McWilliam, actually, we, we had a parent on the show a couple months back who said that one of your books was like the foundation of how she started her journey down early intervention. She referenced it and used it to um, to ask a lot of questions of, of service providers and of uh, funding sources of, of how to of what they were going to offer her son and how they were going to build a program. Um, so I, I know there's been a lot of uh, benefit that we've seen here in California already from, from what you've been doing. Um, but I guess the, the, the thing that I think she said she got out of the book and about your work that she got exposed to is um, understanding how young kids learn. Um, and, and she was able to use that as the foundation of, of some of the questions she asked. So I was hoping you could maybe start off there is kind of talking to everyone about how young kids learn um, and how that um, impacts early intervention services. Yes, that's a very important um, piece of information that we've acquired over the last few years. Um, the assumption in in years past was that uh, uh, very young children could learn the same way that older kids do and adults do, which is to give them therapy sessions once a week and that they would um, acquire the skills and transfer them to non-therapy times and so on. Uh Well, um, it really doesn't uh, take a rocket scientist to realize that little kids don't learn in one-hour sessions. They, in fact, learn throughout the day, every day, um, with repeated interactions with the environment, not just a whole bunch of massed trials, um, that is, trials that are 
presented back to back to the child. Mm. Um, and that those, the way little children learn is to have those, let's call them trials, if you will, distributed over time, that is throughout the day and throughout different uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Well, if we know that that's how little kids learn, that has to shake up how we provide services. It makes us realize that services then need to work to um, bolster the confidence and competence of the child's natural caregivers because those natural caregivers are the people who are around um, and have the opportunity to teach children the way they learn. So, you know, when if with that said, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, I, I think about the way services are delivered and, and it seems like there's there's clinic based, there's home based, there, there's all these different combinations and sometimes it feels haphazard is like how then should a, a service be delivered is is home really the way to go to be able to, like you said, bolster the parents well, the most important thing is that the time spent between the professional and mm. the family be, uh, let's call it consultative time. Mm. So in other words, where the professional is really using um, all his or her skills um, with uh, children, um, mm-hmm. but applying it with adults. And so mm-hmm. this actually means that early interventionists today really need to be Um, experts not only in children's learning, but in adult learning theory. Mm. And so the location is, um, I think it is important actually, but even more important than the location is the, um, what happens during the session. Got it. Got it. Um, You know, one of the things I know that you've talked about, or I I know you've written about and you do a lot of trainings on is routine-based early intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hoping you could maybe talk a little bit about what that is, uh, because I think there's there's a lot of value for for our listeners out there to to learn more about that. Yes, the um, the simple concept of routines based early intervention is that um, the intervention that children receive, which is different from the services they receive, mm. that the intervention they receive um, occurs during their everyday routines, and mm. we use the the term routines in the broadest possible sense. They're just the regular times of the day, waking up, diaper change, breakfast time, hanging out or playtime, going for a walk, and so on. Just the regular things that happen in a child's day, each of those things we call a routine. Mm -hmm. And um, so early intervention is um, uh, in those routines is what the, whoever the adult is who's with the child in those routines is delivering to the kid. Got it. So it, it, I mean, it really feels like a very, you know, if I think about like going out there as as an assessor, if I meet a family, you know, it, it almost feels like one of the most important things I could be finding out is, okay, what what is a day in the life of this kid, of this family entity, and, and building a program all around that. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point because, um, in fact, the one of the. Uh, practices that we developed that keeps me very busy is training people on the routines-based interview, which you mentioned mm-hmm. um, before the break. Sure. And uh, that's exactly what we're doing is we're asking families about their uh, typical days. But um, one major difference is that uh, many professionals do that already, but often that's a little maybe 15 or 20-minute conversation, mm-hmm. whereas a truly in-depth assessment of the needs within routines actually takes about an hour and a half to two hours. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's way different than, uh, than the amount of time I was taught in grad school of, okay, this is how you do a, a functional assessment and, and how you do some of those, um, that background information. Uh, mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, in, in doing this, are you, are you finding that the kids are, is it a quicker generalization? Is it um, acquisitions of skills faster? Or is it something greater that uh, the family is being impacted or benefiting from? Um, yeah. the uh, In a way, it's what um, the experts Stokes and Bayer in 1977 called programming for generalization. So rather than, rather than teaching skills, 
uh, uh, skills that a child acquires in one place and then having to work on generalizing it to another place or time or people. We actually teach the skills at the times, in the places, and with the people where the skill is needed. Mm-hmm. So the research shows that generally when you use that kind of programming, it, may, it might be a little slower for the kid to acquire um, just the, the discrete skill. But mm-hmm. once he's acquired it or she's acquired it, it's there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so you don't have to do the second step of generalization because you already taught it in those mm-hmm. places. And it tends to stick better. Got it. Yeah. It's so funny. I love the, you know, I, I think I told you during the break, you know, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in New York and started working in uh, in the ABA field in Boston and mm-hmm. came to California. And I, I find it so interesting how, like, there's these concepts really lend themselves to people really, like, I don't know, they, they grab you. You get into them. They make sense. But we use different terminology. But I feel like this... This idea of, like you said, teaching for generalization from the get-go, being in the natural routine, it's something that I hear people talking about, and I know it's something I've gotten to do a lot here in California, but it's it's different terminology and not with the same degree of structure. And um, that that person-centered interview that you're talking about for the routine-based assessment, um, it's just it's just slightly different, but but so consistent with the a lot of philosophies. That's it's really cool to see those those similarities across the country. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm also very interested in how um, our work with the youngest of children and their families, in many ways, is very consistent with person-centered planning and paths and maps and those things that are done for self-determination of mm-hmm. adults with um, with uh, disabilities. Um, and even the field of geriatrics actually has a lot to teach us um, because they. Uh, have learned to be very family-centered. So I think you're right. There are all kinds of uh, crosswalks um, um, of how to do things right. That's really, you know, I never thought about it. I I actually was in geriatrics before getting into ABA, and Mm -hmm. I never put that connection together of that person-centered element of geriatric care and getting the whole family involved in the, the treatment and then the support for their older loved ones. Um, how that could be really relate. I, I've never thought about that, that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this idea, it, it really gets me excited about, you know, hearing you and, and hearing these concepts. I get excited about home therapy. It, it's, I, I've spent more time personally in a home than a clinic setting. Mm-hmm. So it gives, it gives me a lot of validation of, wow, this really makes sense. These, these home programs where we go into multiple settings, multiple environments, like you said, uh, dressing in the morning is a perfect opportunity to embed the ABA therapy into the routine. Uh, Mealtime is a perfect opportunity. Maybe there is a, a, a certain routine um, that is unique to this family but consistent for this family. Great. Let's embed it. Um, I wonder how does that philosophy now move to the next stage when – okay, great, this child is now maybe over the age of three and starting to move into preschool? Um, We try to uh, look at the parallels, uh, the similarities, and the differences. So we know that um, in a good developmentally appropriate preschool, the day is divided into different let's call them again, routines. Mm -hmm. So there are different segments of the day, like circle time, sand and water play, outside time, snack, and so forth. And um, going back to the earlier uh, question about routines, you know, uh, this is how normal people divide their normal days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it it prevents us from talking about uh, domains of development or subject matter or whatever. It's it's normal people language. And um, since we're actually working with normal people to do the interventions with their kids, that, and that's referring back to natural caregivers, so that would be mm-hmm. parents or teachers, um, it's a it's a common sense approach to um, organizing our thinking about child functioning. So mm-hmm. in preschool, 
we do really want to make sure that uh, we are assessing the child's engagement, independence, and social relationships in each of those routines of the day. But I really want to um, just uh, come back to the importance of this being a developmentally appropriate um, play-based environment um, because too many preschool options for children with autism are um, de well, are boring, um, distraction-free, and really don't honor the, um, the reality that this is still a child. Yeah. Huh. I, I have a lot of follow-up I want to ask to that, but I know we've got a commercial here. So let's take a break, and I want to talk more about uh, a couple of things that you just said that really piqued my interest. So uh, we'll be right back after this. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, uh, joined today by Dr. Uh, Robin McWilliam. Um, you know, right before the break, you I, I feel like you gave me, like, so much to process, and I'm, I'm, I have, like – all these different parts I want to jump into. Um, and, and the first one that I, I really liked and I I'm wanted to find out how much of a difference it makes is you were talking about moving into the preschool setting, uh, going through early intervention, uh, using normal vernacular. The idea of, you know, let's, let's demysticize or, or demystify some of this um, and, and use normal language so that caregivers and, and teachers and whomever can really understand what we're doing. Um, have, have you faced resistance to that? Um, or has that been just the people who you're working with just soak it up and say, great, I get this, you know, and give me more? Um, yeah, the um... – of course, not too many people uh, resist the um, uh, um, the vernacular, you know, dropping the jargon. But as for the model itself, that has uh, caused a few um, problems for for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, in in particular, because uh, with children with ASD, um, the um, the National Research Council uh, came out with a statement a number of years ago saying that uh, children should get 25 hours of intensive services mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. And um, our model uh, really, uh, ironically, 
increases it above 25, but it's not of services. It's of intervention. And so you see the distinction I'm making is that services yeah. are what a professional provides, whereas intervention is what a child receives. Mm-hmm. But our field is so used to um, having uh, professionals working directly with the children one-on-one, which, of mm-hmm. course, can't happen 24-7 unless you adopt the kid, mm-hmm. that um, uh, there has been some resistance to this idea that um, we should take a more consultative, natural environments type of approach. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up that um, the National Research Council, because I was going to ask you about that as well. And, and I guess listening to the two parts and, and going to my next question is, is hearing what you said before the break, it, it sounds like the big difference is really the environment. It's if you have the right environment with the right consultation, with the right type of people implementing it, you've, you've got what you need from the intervention point of view. Yeah, you're exactly right, and um, I can tell from your uh, behavioral background that you <laughs> you completely get the idea that it really is about changing or uh, making sure that the environment supports the learning and behavior of the um, of the little kids. Yeah, um, and so uh, it's uh, it really um, makes a lot of sense theoretically as well as practically, mm-hmm. that rather than trying to um, uh, mind-read the child or look at what we call intra-individual differences, mm-hmm. that is, what's going on inside the kid's head, we actually work to make sure that the child bumps up against contingencies enough mm-hmm. um, that he or she can learn to function successfully in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... I... I, I guess the BCBA is a giveaway once I start talking about behavioral principles, like like you said. You know, but I, I I wonder is it the you know you talked about the idea of service versus intervention, and I think that's a really interesting distinction to make. Of you know intervention is really about implementing of a, a plan, uh, principles, contingencies, um, and I think what sometimes people lose sight of uh, as we isolate elements is, you know, who are interventionists? Who are the people leading the intervention? Uh, A lot of times when we look at even people providing one-on-one intervention, you you see all different backgrounds, all different people who get into the field. Um, And I think sometimes parents maybe or or teachers or whomever sometimes have a – Maybe there's a fear. Maybe there's a lack of confidence around how they can do it um, because there's a sense of, oh, no, no, the interventionist must have way, way, way more. Um, but oftentimes it's the BCBA or the supervisor or the consultant who really has that extensive, extensive background. Right. And so with very young children and their families, this becomes pretty important because – um, we can't reasonably expect professionals to spend enough time with children to teach children the way they learn. Little kids. Right. You know, we're right. not talking about 14-year-olds with, with autism. Of we're course. talking about little kids who are learning from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. Exactly. So then, you know, you think about the BCBA, for example, um, which, uh, uh, you know, we many people know um, what kind of training that involves, but um, it often does not involve enough training on how to be a consultant to the child's parents or teachers. You Absolutely. Know, it's strong on the direct intervention, which is great, mm-hmm. but um, what a really skilled early interventionist needs to know how to do is to find the right strategies that um, – parents or classroom teachers can implement themselves. Well, and you know, I think the, it's a different point of view, but I think it's really relevant to what you just said is, you know, we have these um, insurance mandates that are becoming a big point of focus across the country. Uh, California passing one just, you know, a year ago, a little bit more than that. Um, And a big piece of feedback I've heard from insurance companies on a regular basis is, we're looking for the BCBA to really be an active participant in coordinating care. 
This shouldn't mm. be this isolated intervention. You're, you're a professional. We need you to integrate and, and work with others. And we want to see the parents or the daycare or the school or, or wherever you're at. We want to see these guys involved. And I know that that's been something that, as you said, it, it, it wasn't in my BCBA coursework that I got that. It was in the counseling classes that I, I personally took where I felt like I got that training. Yeah, that's uh, that's the most sensible thing I've heard coming out of an insurance company ever. Yeah, <laughs> it, it actually made a lot of sense to me too. Um, you know, the way that we're we're trying to do it, and it, it's actually led to better treatment. Not surprisingly, mm-hmm. when you have everyone coming together to really talk about this child's program, um, we didn't have to wait for an IEP team to get together. You could do it at home and say, hey speech, do you want to come on in here? Or um, in, in some cases, it was, hey, pediatrician, can we do a conference call? Uh, we've actually had some doctors kind of come in and, and be involved and um, make just better team decisions for this child's um, yeah, benefit. It's going, to, it's going to be very interesting watching, especially, uh, you know, I'm, uh, of course, very concerned about young children. And so yeah. in the preschool years, it's going to be very interesting seeing who um, is going to step up to the plate and who's going to run away from that plate and not to first base either. I'm talking back, back, back to the dugout mm-hmm. in terms of, um, uh, of helping, especially the families of young children with autism, because uh, the school districts are really not um, uh, equipped through legislation right. to help them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's... Uh... The, the word equipped is probably a good word. And I think, you know, to, to go back to the, the, the preschool model that you were talking about, um, I, I think that's the word I, I come to right away is how many preschools, as you said, are equipped to be this fun, interactive place where that child can get that environment and in turn also have the supports for a parent. Because I have to assume the parent needs to, this isn't, or it shouldn't be a, let me drop my kid off at preschool, but let me learn more about what's going on. Because as you said, learning doesn't stop. Okay, preschool's over, learning is over. There's got to be that um, continuity across the day. Yeah, and the two-way street, of course, is that the parents can teach an awful lot to the um, to the preschool people who do, have, yeah. as you point out, have the child for a lot fewer hours in the week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the part that I sometimes feel like that bridge is often missing. It's, you know, okay, do we have the right environment, but do we have this good dialogue? Um, because obviously, it, it's very hard to, you know, school is there. We have a sense from typical kids, or and maybe it's of older kids. It's okay, my kid is at school, not at home. Um, and it's separate. Like I know my parents often had that attitude of great. You're at school right now. Now you come home. Now we pick up our piece. Yeah. And, and you know, if you've got a, a little kid who uh, can go through the home routines um, just mm-hmm. fine, uh, no problem. But when you've got a child whose behavior after preschool um, mm. is really, really difficult for the family yeah. and, um, uh, you know, and then the family's trying to figure out, well, who's available to help me with this? Mm-hmm. Um, we we can't exactly blame the the school people because IDEA the Individuals with yep. Disabilities Education Act let them off the hook. Yeah. Um, uh, if in the law does not allow for um, family level uh, support to be included on the IEP, mm-hmm. and as you know, if it ain't on the IEP, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I it, that becomes a big dilemma, and it's hard for. And if you can't be there to really know what's going on, it's it's even hard just to give advice at an IEP team other than have you tried this, have you tried that, which mm-hmm. is, is really not what a family may need. It's 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 a challenge. Well, um, we're we're recommending that um, people do routines based interviews with preschoolers also, even though mm. they might not be able to. Um, uh, you know, be there and help at the level that the family might really need. At least they can um, find out what the needs really are, and maybe a kind-hearted soul in the school will actually try to help with those. 
I could see maybe you deviate some of your school routines ever so slightly um, to maybe incorporate some of what the home-based routines are, because ultimately that could lead to better generalization of what you're doing in the school. Uh, I wish that were true. Unfortunately, little kids with autism have great difficulty in mm. transferring from one setting to the other. Yeah. So I still, I still go back to your first point, which is that actually interventions um, in the home are going to be more successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're right up against another break, so we're going to take one more commercial break, uh, and then we'll be back for our final segment with Dr. McWilliam. We'll be right back. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Uh, we have one final segment left with Dr. Robin McWilliam. Um, you know, we've been talking about early intervention, but I, I also want to just talk a little bit about... Um, about the Siskin Children's Institute um, and um, and what it is and uh, what kind of research you guys are working on right now. Well, good. I love talking about uh, Siskin Children's Institute. This is a, a private nonprofit organization um, with uh, a history uh, um, half a century long of serving children with special needs in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. But in the last few years, it's really expanded to um, be the uh, international center for intellectual capital in certain aspects of early intervention and early childhood special education, uh, uh, principally around the uh, routines-based early intervention uh, mm -hmm. model, which you've mentioned, as well as the engagement classroom model, which is mm -hmm. what we do with preschoolers primarily. Um, and so the Institute now has four core activities, and that is the care and education of young children with and without disabilities. It's an inclusive program. Mm -hmm. uh, research, which I'll uh, talk a little bit more about. Uh, outreach, such as professional development and technical assistance. And then mm -hmm. uh, we have a developmental and behavioral pediatric clinic uh, with associated therapies. And so the research that we're doing really falls um, around three areas. One is around child engagement and how to promote it. I've been mm -hmm. studying that for about 30 years now. Um, a second is around family-centered practices. And so this is what are the things that professionals can do to support families. And the third one is around service delivery models. What are the best ways of providing services, whether it's um, home-based or classroom-based? Uh -huh. So those are those are the um, areas that we do research in. Fabulous. And is there something you guys are working on right now um, that you can uh, share with our listeners? Well, we're just starting um, uh, a new incidental teaching. Uh, study And so incidental teaching is really interesting, and many people working with young children with autism should really know about it um, if they yep. don't already, because it is probably the most naturalistic of ABA strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, incidental teaching came, you know, is part of ABA, um, but it can be applied in, um, in everyday uh, 
uh, activities. And it can be what we've shown, and uh, uh, researchers at Vanderbilt have also shown this, uh, it can be taught to parents and teachers. So um, we're starting a new one to see um, if we can increase the rate of incidental teaching by giving feedback uh, to teachers. And the feedback is um, a graph. Uh, Amy Casey and I have already done this, uh, where we've used graphical feedback to improve uh, the quality of incidental teaching, and this one is to increase the rate of incidental teaching. Got it. Yeah, it's funny. The way we were describing incidental teaching, it it brought a smile to my face of when I I first started uh, providing direct intervention or ABA intervention, um, I remember being in a school and you know, having these these breaks, these these five, ten, fifteen minute downtimes, and it's like, great, you take a break, I need a break, and and someone had to point out to me, no, 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 you you're not doing any incidental teaching. This is the time to do it, and it was amazing what a difference I saw in the overall behavior of the kids I was working with. Um, you know, I was working with some pretty uh, severe aggressive uh, behaviors um, or, or kids with them, and even their behaviors improved because I was reinforcing all of this other good stuff that it, it just became a more reinforcing environment. Like I became a reinforcer because I was paired with all of this incidental teaching and the reinforcement that came with it. Yeah, people, people sometimes forget how reinforcing adult attention all by itself can be. Oh, uh, yeah. Not always, but, uh, but <laughs> no. often it is. And actually, at Gail McGee's phenomenal program at Emory University called Walden, um, mm-hmm. th- uh, the teachers there only work f- a maximum of four hours at a time because it's so intensive. They're worn out at the end of four hours. That, I, that makes a lot of sense. I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could see that very well. Um, well, you know, we're pretty much out of time, and uh, I just want to thank you for being on the show. I, you know... So much of what we talked about, you know, it, it really resonates with me. It really, I think, gets me thinking about how can we provide our ABA services better? How can we make them more natural? Because it's, I don't think it's through massive leaps and bounds um, for us to get there. It's actually through, I think, some, uh, some natural shifts, some just the natural evolution of how we can provide our services and ultimately fade them out. Because, you know, the goal of any good ABA program should really be to, to work yourself out of a program because the parents are now taking it over. The school is now taking it over because the child's made so much progress and is, and is generalizing. Yeah. Well, it's great talking to um, a radio host who's so knowledgeable. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, you know, all the best. I hope uh, the Tennessee weather has, uh, hasn't been as bad as, uh, as my folks back uh, in New York and, and, uh, and my family in Massachusetts has been reporting. So uh, I hope you have a good one, and, uh, and hopefully we can have you back again to talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing at uh, the Siskin Institute. Thank you. It's been fun. All right. Um, you know, last couple of minutes, everybody, uh, I am just uh, – you know, if you can't tell by, by my voice and my tone, I, I really am just energized by all of this because it, it, this conversation has really got me thinking about services and, and how we do things and, and this idea of service versus intervention. And uh, it, it actually ties really well into the idea of, you know, who should interventionists be, which I know I talked about uh, just, just recently at the top of a show Um but I think it reinforces the idea that we can all play a really active role. The intervention isn't all about the professional, but intervention can be provided by the whole team. And parents can play a huge role in this intervention. And, and as Dr. McWilliam talked about, you know, at any hour of the day, and I think that's a really – just exciting concept of what we can what we can do and how we can help our kids um, because every professional's time is limited but the time of every single team member together and in creating the right type of environment and creating the right kind of just systems in place to to really generalize these interventions from day one is is just a really powerful thing and I think can be just amazing for our kids. And I know I've seen it for so many little ones at early intervention who have this 
all around support and, and the benefits they've gained from it. Um, so next week, uh, we've got Dr. Gina Chang, my friend, talking about social skills um, and, and talking about the, those elements we talked about at the top of the show. So I'm really excited for that. I hope you tune in um, because I know she had a great presentation and a great dialogue um, with her audience. And I think it's one that we can all benefit from, again, tackling a, a different end of the autism spectrum, uh, going away from the early intervention, but maybe to... Uh, some older learners and, and, and older development. Um, please send me your questions. Send me your uh, comments. Uh, I want to do another mailbag show. Uh, your your questions, your comments are starting to come in. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm really gearing the show to your questions and, and your concerns and what's really resonating for you. Um, I know the, the big topic has, has been severe behavior and, and handling uh, aggression. So I know we're going to talk about that, but feel free to also take a look at some of the uh, video blogs that I've been posting the last few weeks because I'm really gearing everything uh, to that topic to try and give you some pointers and some tips of how to get started and where to go um, in, in terms of developing a good support plan um, for your child if, if this is an area of need for you. Um, so it's spring. It's March. I hope you guys are having a, a great spring. Uh, quick happy birthday to my little sister. Uh, I don't know how often she listens, but it was my little sister's 30th birthday uh, just a couple of days ago. And uh, her fiance's birthday was actually the very next day. They've got back-to-back birthdays. So, Allie, happy birthday to you. Um, and uh, I hope all of you guys have a great break. I hope the spring break planning isn't too stressful. I know that's getting uh, getting underway. Um, but if you have any questions about that, uh, drop us a line um, either at the Facebook page or at more info at autismtherapies.com. Uh, we'll talk to you next week when uh, Dr. Gina Chang is with us. Take care, everyone, and hope you have a fabulous week. Bye-bye. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.